Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That is what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. Be it joy and laughter, sorrow and tears, awe and insight, or deepest devotion, as we visit and listen, we are all part of a spiritual voyage called Song of the Soul. David and Jenny Heitler-Clevens have been doing music together as two of a kind for around three decades now. Rooted mostly in the folk Americana genre, they have focused on children and family music, nine albums of it, in addition to a CD for grown-ups. They've garnered six Parents' Choice and three Creative Child Magazine Awards and a lot more. I ran into them because of their recording of one of Amanda Yudis Kessler's songs and found that they have the kind of music I just love sharing. They also perform, along with two other musicians, as Acoustic Blender. David Heitler-Clevens joins us today via Zoom from the Philly area. David, thank you so very much for joining me today for Song of the Soul. Thank you for having me. I understand that you've been secular almost all your life or all your life. Could you describe that path? Because Song of the Soul means very different things to different people. Yeah, I mean, basically, I'm of Jewish background, and I identify myself as Jewish, but I identify culturally and historically as opposed to religiously. And I've really been a purely secular person pretty much my whole life. I remember my parents, who are also secular, I don't feel like they really said a whole lot about religion when I was very little. And so some of the first ways I started sort of coming into contact with it was people telling me scary stuff like that I was going to burn in hell because I didn't even know what they were talking about. So that didn't really put me on a real positive feeling about the whole thing. But when I would go back to my parents and say that kids were saying this, they'd say, well, you know, different people believe different things. And my memory is that they didn't really, when I was really little, say much to me about what they believe. And I do remember a time when I, as a kid, when I kind of tried to believe in God because I thought it sounded kind of comforting and I just couldn't do it. It just wasn't in me. So, you know, it's not that I'm no for sure <laughs> what there is or isn't, but I'm a very rational science-based kind of person. So I feel like, you know, without something that would make me believe in these things that other people believe, I don't tend to go that direction. I do feel, and a lot of the songs that I think will play of mine represent this, that in a way, family to me is in the place where for other people, there would be a more spiritual or religious kind of a basis for things. I, I have a very close relationship with my extended family, and there's just a real sense of community there. And I also feel a part of other communities through music and progressive politics and things like that. So I feel the connections that I think other people get from a more traditional religious community through these other things. And I also think a lot about what I call as kind of a secular immortality, which has also come into a lot of my songs of how we live on through the memories of other people. You know, very much a, it's a wonderful life kind of attitude towards things. <laughs> you know, the effect that we have on other people, even people that we don't know, a kind of a ripple effect. To me, that's a very moving thing. So, you know, when you used the word soul and you told me that that's what this was partly about, I sort of thought about, well, what would that mean to me? And, I, and those are the things I thought of, you know, in terms of both the family idea and this idea of living on through the effect we have on others. 
Well, the way that I connected up with you was through Amanda Yudis Kessler, who I've had on twice on Song of the Soul. She's quite a special person as far as I'm concerned. How do you connect with Amanda across the distance? She's way over in Colorado. Sure. Well, we went to college together. We went to Oberlin. My wife and I met at Oberlin, and I know Amanda from Oberlin. And of course, that's another one of those, you know, bastions of progressive thought and music. And recently, I've really reconnected with Amanda because she's asked me to record a few of her songs, which is a real honor. And she tends to ask me when she has something on the folkier side, because she also, as you know, writes things that are choral and, you know, and I come from a kind of folky musical genre. So I think I've now recorded three songs for her, and I'm really pleased to be able to do that. The song you recorded for her, or the one that she shared on her last program, was called Jesus the Essential Worker. Was this at all uh, any kind of a struggle or a reach for you to be doing a song called Jesus the Essential Worker? Well, it was a little bit. When she first sent it to me, I was sort of thinking, really, Amanda, that you want me to do that? (laughs) But, you know, I listened to the song, and I really liked it. And one thing that's really funny is that my parents thought that I wrote it. And I said to my parents, who, like me, are secular Jews, and you know, I said to them, really, you think I would write a song about Jesus? And they said, well, if you wrote a song about Jesus, it would be like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that's really great. Yeah. So you perform at least in two different guises, or you have until recently. I mean, COVID has changed so much of our life. So two of a kind is you and Jenny, your wife. And then there's this other group called the Acoustic Blender. So Acoustic Blender includes my wife and I, as well as two other people. And that's the group that you're referring to that hasn't been able to meet for the last year because of the pandemic. So we miss them. Well, get us started with your music. Again, folks, we're speaking with David Heitler Clevens of Two of a Kind and Acoustic Blender. What do we start with, David? Let's start with a song that I wrote that's called Least Little Thing. It falls into that category, like I was saying, of sort of the effect that we can have on others, you know, the power or strength of little things. I work my sons into it a little bit. You know, it's a very intentionally simple song. I often find myself striving for simplicity. There's something that we can connect on with the Quakerism, you know, because I I feel like so often as songwriters, we are trying to be clever and complicated and nuanced and stuff like that. And I, I sometimes find some of the hardest things to write are when I try to be really, really simple. So it's been a sort of an oddball goal of mine as I go along. When you say that you're including your sons, these twins, Ari and Jason, are they actually singing in there? And how am I going to recognize their voices? Okay, well, they're not singing on this one, but we will hear them in some other selections that we're going to listen to. But there's a couple verses that are about them. Our sons are now 26 years old. But in this song, they're babies. They're little because I wrote it that long ago. It was released on Lead with Love in 2018, I think. So have you just been holding it in stock all those years? Yeah, we've been performing it. I mean, my wife and I mostly have made recordings for children and families for a long time. So this album that you referred to, Lead with Love, that we put out in 2018 was the first one that we made that was specifically for grownups in a really long time. So there were a number of songs on it that we'd been doing for a long time, but we just finally got around to putting them on a recording. All that gets us ready to listen to a performance by Acoustic Blender. That is to say, David, his wife, Jenny, and the two other members of Acoustic Blender with the song, Least Little Thing. Before I go, I want to do something great. You never know when it might be too late. But in the end, it's enough to say. 
There is greatness in the least little thing. Might crave wealth, and you might chase fame. You might want the stars to spell out your name. But in the end, it's enough to sing. There is greatness in the least little thing. Some folks long. Understood. They think it's wrong to be earnest and good, but a simple song will make the whole world sing. There is greatness in the least little thing. My two little boys find great things all around. It might be a noise or a leaf on the ground. They seem to know what these small things bring. But there is greatness in the least little thing. And when they look up into my eyes, the love that's there takes me. By surprise, it lifts me up like a small bird's wing. For there is greatness in the least little thing. And when we stand all side by side, the strength that's there could turn the tide. It'll shake the throne. Of the mightiest king, for there is greatness in the least little thing. Before I go, I want to do something great. You never know when it might be too late, but in the end, it's enough to sing. There is greatness in the least little thing. There is greatness. There is greatness. There is greatness in the least little thing. We've got the good fortune of having David Heitler Clevens here today for Song of the Soul. That recording is actually a two of a kind recording with some songs performed also by Acoustic Blender. Does that make the harmonies particularly better? What do you get when you add the rest of the ingredients from the blender? Well, a lot of it is the harmonies. We love, the four of us love to harmonize together. And on some, unlike that song, which is fairly simple, sometimes we like to get fairly intricate and complex with them with the arrangements. And I should mention, you mentioned the other two members, but we haven't mentioned them by name. It'd be nice for me to give a shout out to them. So the other woman in the group is Hope Wesley Harrison, and the other man in the group is Justin Solaninka. They are both wonderful friends and human beings and also wonderful musicians. So in addition to voices, in particular, Justin is a multi-instrumentalist. He's a very accomplished pianist, but he also plays melodica and whistles and 
and panpipes and trombone and all, all sorts of things. So, and Hope and I trade off on guitar and bass, and Jenny does a lot of different percussion, including the djembe and the cajon and things like that. And again, when the four of you are together, that's acoustic blender. But you and Jenny, that's two of a kind, except when your sons are with you who are twins, who are two of a kind, <laughs> then you're four of a family. I don't know what you call it. Then. Well, we still call ourselves two of a kind. It's something that we actually have had an ongoing debate with our sons about where we kept suggesting to them, why don't we be, you know, two of a kind times two or four of a kind or, you know, two of a kind squared or two of a kind and sons but they rejected all those things. They said, mom and dad, just stay two of a kind, whether we're with you or not. So I don't think they wanted to be counted literally uh, in the name, but we have always loved making music with them. We really started when they were about 10, when we went on a cross country tour with them. And we said, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of concerts on this trip. And if you're not part of them, you're going to get really bored. So why don't you try doing some of this? And we had no idea it would go so well and that we would all enjoy it and that it would last so long. We sort of thought, okay, they're 10. Maybe they'll be willing to do this with their parents for like two years. But once they get to be teenagers, they'll say, forget it, mom and dad. But they never stopped being willing. So it was a real joy to us. Well, let's do another song that David Heitler Clevins can share with us and from whichever of your repertoires. Actually, I imagine you could have grabbed stuff from the schools. Since you teach music in schools and you've done this for many years, you probably have recordings of all kinds of bands you've directed or whatever it is. Were those options? Some of those things, actually more in recent years, because I haven't really taught in a school since around when our sons were born 26 years ago, but I do songwriting residencies with Jenny in schools. In fact, we're doing one right now with a school in Philadelphia using virtual methods. Then we help kids write songs. Both the words and the music are written by the students and they do it through a group songwriting process. So some of those are songs that we like so much that we have recorded them ourselves. What schools do you do this with? Is this public schools, private schools? I imagine there's some good Quaker schools that would say, oh, David and Jenny, get them in. Yeah, definitely. It's been all. In fact, I should mention to you, you know, about the Quaker connection. It was a Quaker school that hired me as a music teacher that put me on the path that we're on, actually, because I went into this school to see if I could offer private music lessons to the students after school. And the principal changed my life, basically. She said to me, well, what I really need is a new music teacher. And I said right away, well, I can't do that. I have no experience. I had a degree in music, but it was in composition. I hadn't taken a single education class when I was in college. So we parted company. And then Monday morning at five in the morning, she called me to say that the music teacher had gotten in a car accident. And could I come in and be the substitute that week? And I felt like Julie Andrews, you know, at the beginning of Sound of Music, I was terrified. <laughs> I grabbed my guitar, I grabbed my Rise Up singing songbook, and I had no clue what I was doing. And I had a total blast and loved the whole week. And they liked me. And based on that, they hired me and I worked there for five years. And that also made that connection with Quaker schools, friend schools around the country. So um, we have actually done programs at more friend schools around the country than probably any other single kind of private school or independent school. And we've always felt a real connection. And when we go, you know, people say, oh, you know, you understand <laughs> what we're about. <laughs> But what we really need to get to is some more of the music of David Heitler Clevins. Where are we going? Well, I mentioned that, you know, a lot of what we do is for kids and for families. So I thought maybe we could do this old rocking chair, which is actually the first serious song I wrote for our sons when they were babies. 
because for a while, all that I had energy for as a parent of twins was parodies about crying and pooping. <laughs> you know, like all I have to do is scream was one of ours that we actually did record the Everly Brothers song. Anyway, but this was a, a lullaby that I wrote. And actually, I can see the rocking chair that was my family's rocking chair when I was growing up over in the next room that I was thinking of as I wrote this song. Anyway, it does include a little bit of that thing I mentioned near the beginning of my idea of secular immortality and how we, we live on through the memories of others. And actually, somebody covered this song recently, and I was a little disappointed. They changed the last verse so it didn't have any reference to death. And I know people feel differently about these things, but as an artist who works with children, I think it's really important that we recognize all of the aspects of existence and the end of existence and not shy away from some of those things that some adults are uncomfortable bringing up with kids, but kids think about it and we need to honor that. So in our version, we do not avoid <laughs> that aspect. It's from the two of a kind recording known as family album. It is this old rocking chair. When I was little, when I was small, that old rocking chair used to seem ten feet tall And I looked forward to the end of the day When my mom or dad would sit there and say Come take a ride in this old rocking chair Come sit by my side and tug on my hair I'll tell you a story, I'll sing you a song in this old rocking chair As I grew older that chair would become All of the things in my imagination Sometimes a place to drive my matchbox cars Sometimes a spaceship blasting off to Mars Take a ride in this old rocking chair Come sit by my side and tug on my hair I'll tell you a story, I'll sing you a song In this old rocking chair I am grown Now I have two little babes of my own And there is one thing I do love to see When those two little boys come and climb up on me Come take a ride in this old rocking chair Come sit by my side and tug on my hair I'll tell you a story, I'll sing you a song in this old rocking chair We sit in this chair and I sing you to sleep Till I put you down and you can dream deep Someday this chair and I will both be gone But we'll still be there whenever you sing this song Come take a ride in this old rocking chair Come sit by my side and tuck on my hair I'll tell you a story 
This old rocking chair is by the joint work of David Heitler-Clevins and his wife, Jenny, also Heitler-Clevins, two of a kind. And I, I didn't ask you this, although it says on your website, how you came up with the name two of a kind, why you and Jenny are that. Yeah, well, a lot of people assume that we called ourselves that because of having twins, but really, we named ourselves two of a kind before we had the twins, and then it was like our name came true, so it's very funny. But we chose it because we realized we had an unusual number of things in common when we first started to really get to know each other. It almost felt like we'd lived parallel lives, that we'd done a lot of the same things with our families, our families were similar, we both grew up in college towns, and even down to like which foods we liked a lot or hated or didn't care that much, I mean, it was like were kind of ridiculous. So two of a kind just seemed like kind of an appropriate name to give ourselves. As you mentioned, David, that song was on Family Album, which is one of your kids' releases. Most of your releases are for kids, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And kids defined as under what age? Well, really, it's all ages. And, you know, we've always tried to make music for kids that adults could enjoy as well. I've often said, you know, if it's one of those kinds of things that adults are so annoyed by that they can't stand, it's probably not really good for the kids either. But yeah, I think that most of our audience has been from two or three to 10 or 12 for most of our career as, as musicians for families and stuff. So, and that family album one, part of the reason we called it that is it's less of a kind of a kid album as something sort of for the whole family, but with an emphasis on families with kids. <laughs> so, um, and it's very much about family experiences and things like that too. Did you find, David, you and Jenny find that there was more of a market for, shall we say, kids musicians than there is for adult musicians? That nationally, you know, you can have your 20 or so musicians who are popular and who can sell stuff, get business, get gigs. But for kids, there's constant need for someone to interact with the kids locally. Yeah, it's a much more of a regional thing. And there actually are very few children's family musicians who are household names across the country. It tends to be more regional markets or pockets, you know. And I do think that there's a certain amount of people being interested in it because it's appropriate for their kids and not needing to know the specific artist as much, you know, like, and when people used to buy CDs, that was true for buying things too. I mean, you wouldn't buy something probably just because it was some folk musician or some rock musician that you'd never heard of because there's so much there and most people know a lot of things that they don't have that they would want but people will sometimes buy kind of you know sight unseen things that are for their kids just because oh this looks interesting so it's it's possible to kind of break through as somebody new to people well let's get some more of the wonderful sharings of two of a kind david and jenny heitler clevens what are we going to share for song of the soul well, you know, one of the things that's most important to us is social justice. So a lot of the music that we've done, both for kids and for adults, has sort of a political or, or social content. I thought we could do Hatred Has No Place Next, which is a song that I wrote around the time of the events in Charlottesville a couple years ago, where there was that hate-filled rally in Charlottesville and resulting in at least one death. And Around our neighborhood in the Philadelphia area, those signs that maybe you've seen that say hatred has no home here and different languages, including Spanish and Arabic, started sprouting up all over our neighborhood. 
And I found that very heartening. And I also thought that sounds like it should be a song. So again, I tried to write a really simple song that could be sung at rallies and marches. And I'm pleased that this song has actually been used in quite a few of those contexts and also in schools and people have done it their own way. And we recorded a couple versions of it for Lead with Love, one with our sons, but we're going to listen to the one that we recorded with Acoustic Blender. It's on Lead with Love. So it's a two of a kind recording. And again, it's Acoustic Blender guest (laughs) slot. That's what we'll do. It's Folks, get ready. By the way, there's a lot of different highlighting of voices and harmonies in this one, which is, again, is one of the gifts that David and Jenny and the Acoustic Blender folks bring to it. So you get all of that issuing forth with a great message. Hatred has no place. Hatred has no place in my heart. acoustic blender mix of music and harmonies is called Hatred Has No Place. It's written by David Heitler Clevens, and it's on the release from Two of a Kind called Lead with Love. Is there anyone who it's okay to hate, David? Well, that's an interesting question. And I think that this last four years actually has been one of those things that has made it much harder for many of us who say we should never hate to really live by that. I don't know if you've ever heard Kevin Slick, who lives in the general area of Amanda Udis Kessler in Colorado. He has an old song with his group Neo Pseudo that's called I Hate the Hate. 
it is really kind of perfect at getting at that idea. And I know it sounds like a contradiction to people, but in a way, I think it does make sense to say that you hate hatred. You know, when we say we should love everyone, that doesn't always mean loving everything that everybody does. So when people's words and deeds are hateful and hurt people, I think we do need to stand up to that, not with violence, but still to truly stand up to that and to try to stop it. So there is a conundrum there, and I do feel it. And I, I'm not one of these people who quite can grasp that we can just love hatred away. I think when it comes to, you know, neo-Nazis and KKK and stuff like that, yes, love is probably the way to try to change an individual person. And it has happened. And I'm sure you're familiar with some of those very inspiring stories. But I don't think when we're talking about, you know, what happened on January 6th, that just love is going to stop that violence. You know, I think it really does have to be stopped. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, so it's a challenge, you know, because I've been a proponent of nonviolence my whole life, and I still believe in that. But I also do think that there are times when we really do have to strongly and vigorously fight back against the forces of fascism. And I think, unfortunately, we've seen that really clearly in the last four years, you know, how dangerously close we could come to descending into an authoritarian state. I'm not sure if this is a helpful idea for you. It's probably one you've encountered in any case. A lot of people tend to confuse violence with force. I do believe in force. I do not believe in violence. And the difference is if I'm actually trying to love and including in the solution the person who I'm directing any force toward. So if I take my son and I grab his hand away from a, a flame, I'm using force it becomes violence if I actually want to hurt my son as opposed to that. So I, I don't have any problem with force, violence and hatred. I don't have truck with. I think that's a very good way to put it. And it's okay to be intolerant about intolerance. Right. Likewise. Yeah, I agree. And I think there is some times when people feel uncomfortable with that idea. They think somehow that is being inconsistent, but I, I totally agree with you. And by the way, yes, I do know Kevin Slick, and I have interviewed him as well. Oh, cool. Again, the Quaker connection abides, right? So it makes it easy. Yeah. We actually recorded his Paul Robeson song, and he really honored us by saying that we had done it so well, so much the way that he wanted it, that he didn't feel like he needed to record it himself. So in the we were talking about Peter and Annie and Rise Up Singing in, in the sequel to Rise Up Singing, Rise Again that song is in there. And we're actually in the index of the book, even though none of our original songs are in the book because of a number of songs that we've recorded, including sometimes that we were the only ones who recorded that song. So that that's kind of cool. That is. And again, we're talking about David Heitler Clevens and his wife, Jenny, same name. Together, they're known as two of a kind. And David is going to pull out another song for us to share right now. All right. Well, this one I thought of because of the fact that we're talking about beliefs and soul and spirituality. It's a kind of an unusual take. I've always been fascinated about some of these doomsday cults, you know, when people say that the world is going to end at this specific time on this specific day. And I always hear all these interviews on NPR and stuff of all these people leading up to that day. But I've almost never heard a follow up about what do those people do? when it didn't happen, you know, because it seems like there are a number of possibilities, 
you could either, you know, lose your faith, you could make some kind of excuses for why what you said was absolutely definitely going to happen, didn't happen, you know, all, but there's a lot, I just thought this would be an interesting thing to write a song about. So I wrote a song called The Day After, ruminating on these possibilities, because it just was curious to me. And I sort of wanted to, you know, work through that in a song. It is a fun song. I actually was intrigued by this song because I think more of your humor comes through your perspective in this song than in most. Just looking at the oddity of the world. It is called The Day After. It's from Lead With Love, released by David and Jenny, two of a kind they are, together in 2018. Here's The Day After. What did they do? On the day after, when we still had tears, and we still heard laughter, when after all, we hadn't gone around the bed. What did they do after the day, the world didn't end? They were so sure that we'd be blown away. Oh, so certain that the earth would end that day. Their faith was firm in their higher power. They had the finale figured to the final hour. What did they do on the day after? When we still had tears and we still heard laughter. When after all, we hadn't gone around the bed. What did they do after the day when the world didn't end? On the next morning, were they relieved? Or were they furious at having been deceived? Had they sold all of their earthly possessions? Will they sign up for survivor counseling sessions? What did they do on the day after? With clear hindsight from lens crafters, when after all we hadn't gone around the bed. What did they do after the day when the world didn't end? Did they lose their faith? Did they change their mind? Did they just begin to recalculate the time? Did they claim their deity was not exact? Did they deny what had been rock-solid fact? What did they do on the day after? Did they sing in praise to raise the rafters? When after all, we hadn't gone around the bed. What did they do after the day when the world didn't end? We could sit around and wait for the end Or we could try to help this world to mend Instead of fatalism or despair We could do our best to make sure it's still there What do we do on the day after When we still have tears and we still hear laughter 
when after all we haven't gone around the bend what do we do after the day when the world doesn't end That wonderful song is by David and Jenny Heitler-Clevins. David Heitler-Clevins is here today for Song of the Soul, sharing music of his work with his wife, Jenny, called Two of a Kind, and the two of them with two other artists called Acoustic Blender. The website for David and Jenny is twoofakind.com, and AcousticBlender.com also has relevant music and performances and all that. And we just heard the day after from Lead With Love. They released that back in 2018. Um, I'm going to say a little bit more about that, but first I want to remind folks that these websites I'm spewing at you, you may or may not get them in your head in the right time. You may not know how to spell acoustic. I always wonder whether there's one or two C's. But one thing you will not misspell is northernspiritradio.org. So you can always follow it and connect with my links to David and Jenny, but also to all of our guests of the last 15 and a half years. And you'll find the stations where our programs are carried, both Song of the Soul and Spirit in Action. You'll be able to place comments. And we do love that. And so, David, I'm going to extract an oath from you here now. And you know that we Quakers don't believe in oaths. But... (laughs) that you'll post a comment on the site afterwards about your experience. Get Jenny to jump in and encourage your listeners to do that because by having people provide feedback for one another, we get a richer perspective. My voice is but one and I'm not the most important voice here. So post a comment when you visit. There's also a donate button. You can support us by clicking there. We get our money only through people who donate, not through corporations, not through government. And that's a conscious decision on our part because it's so important to function of by and for the people is what I think is most important, which is also why the community radio stations who carry these programs, some 42 stations across the country, are so important because they're providing that local voice, the alternative. We've already discussed with David the fact that there's a very limited number of adult performers who get to be played on the radio, get shared widely that way. So please support your local community radio station before you support Northern Spirit Radio, but then come to northernspiritradio.org and help us out if you can. We were just playing the song The Day After, which uh, all these people who have been connected with doomsday scenarios. I was surprised to find out, David, that the Zoroastrians, they're the originators of this meme that, in fact, the whole idea that there's the end coming Armageddon, etc., and that you have to get yourself right with your divine source before that, and so you better give all your money to us or do whatever, (laughs) (laughs) that has a long pedigree. And there's some of it in Judaism, not a lot, but there's some. And certainly Christianity has had a lot of its share, but other religions also. So it's a, a worldwide thing where people give over their control and their belief in the future. When they give a date and a time even, it just, you know, they're just setting themselves up to be proved wrong, right? That's the part that doesn't make sense to me. If you make it some vague thing in the future, then you can always be right. You know, you, oh, I just didn't mean yet, you know. But if you say it's going to be Tuesday at 105, you know, you're kind of stuck with that. <laughs> And you would think that having that kind of experience, like the Proud Boys and the other groups who have led the insurrection in Washington, D.C., 
they set their days. This is the day when thing will be overthrown. And just recently, you know, that was the original inauguration day. That's the one where the uprising will happen. Oh, no, it's not. It's going to be another one. And people seem to have no problem at all shifting their frame of reference as opposed to saying, hey, the day came and went. You're screwed up. You are lying to me. And you make that clear in the song, of course. But I do think after January 6th, there were, I heard some very heartening things that there were a number of people who actually did get dissolution because they said, well, you told us that this thing was going to happen and it didn't happen. So there were actually people who left some of those QAnon groups and stuff over that. I was glad to hear that. If only it had been a larger disaffection. If only, yes. Well, there's still time, hopefully. <laughs> and speaking of disaffection, how about the affection that I feel for your songs? This affection I would like to share by having you share a couple more songs. That was a very nice segue. I like that. Yes. <laughs> well, to get you know a little bit more serious here, I, my father died suddenly in October, and he wasn't that old. He was 78. And it wasn't from COVID and it wasn't from Parkinson's, which he had. And it just took us all by surprise. And I mentioned earlier that family is extremely important to me and the rest of my extended family. And so it really hit us all very hard. And since the way I respond to things that are important to me is often through song, I, I did try to write a song for him about him. Because as I've mentioned, I am a secular person. I don't imagine him still being someplace. You know, I, I don't have a sense of an afterlife. I've tried to think about that sometimes as a comforting thing, like I said before, but I, I really can't feel that. So it, again, is the profound effect that he's had on me, on my life. You know, he wasn't a musician by trade, but he did play folk music in college at Antioch, and he did play the trumpet, and both those things were things that I tried to follow in his footsteps with. And we made music together, which was a real joy. I don't know if you want to share this. Actually, I did uh, make a slideshow video of him as well that has some of his music and my music and, you know, a lot of stuff about his whole life. It's kind of a, a memorial to him. And this song is also a memorial to him. So we're actually going to play, I haven't recorded this, you know, professionally or anything, but the very first time that I could bring myself to actually get through the song without dissolving into a puddle was in one of our online concerts on Facebook. And so that's, that's the version that I have for you of this song. But it's hard to do, uh, you know, creative work that's listenable to other people when you're feeling things really strongly. I feel anyway, I, I think it's, you know, that rare time when people can kind of channel deep, strong emotions directly into making art that doesn't sound like a, you know, a teenage rant or something like that. But And I don't know whether I succeeded here, but I did my best and I feel pretty good about it. And it's called Big Shoes to Fill. Some of you know, who know us well, uh, that my father died uh, about a month ago. And um, I, I wanted to write a song for him. And I had this idea and uh, turned into this song. So I hope that you like it. And um, actually, Amanda, who wrote that last song, also offered to uh, write a song about my father, which she may also do at some point. I'm sure it'll be a different song. Uh, but <laughs> all right, let's see if I can do this. I hope I can do it. I remember a time when I was a kid, I dressed up in my dad's clothes. His suit jacket hung down like a robe, the tie reached to my toes. And his shoes felt kind of like clown feet, I tried to walk but I took a spill. I wondered if I would grow tall like him, his shoes were too big to fill my dad's shoes. 
My dad's shoes. My dad's shoes. They're such big shoes to fill. The trumpet he played in high school bands hung on our living room wall. When the band conductor asked what I'd choose, I didn't have to think at all. We played duets sitting side by side. His tone was bold and strong. And now his old trumpet is in my hands, and it plays a mournful song. My dad's shoes. My dad's shoes. My dad's shoes. Such big shoes to fill. My dad would sing songs and play his guitar, and he started teaching me. My fingers were so small next to his, it didn't come easily. But as time went by, we would harmonize, singing songs old and new. And I don't think either one of us guessed it would lead to what I do. My dad's shoes. My dad's shoes. My dad's shoes. They're such big shoes to fill. There's so many ways, too many to count, that he made me who I am. Just a living legacy to the leader of the band. And I can't believe that he is gone. Everybody loved my dad, Jim. I know that he was proud of me. I sure am proud of him. My dad's shoes. My dad's shoes. My dad's shoes. They're such big shoes to fill My dad's shoes My dad's shoes My dad's shoes They're such big shoes to fill I'm really thankful that David Heitler Clevens chose to share that song which he wrote for his father on his father's death big shoes to fill. It's such a wonderful song to give that kind of tribute to your father. And folks, that is the performance group that David and his wife, Jenny Heitler-Clevens, both share their name under. Twoofakind.com is their website, and AcousticBlender.com is the website of the four-person group that they are also part of. Please check them all out or come by NordenSpiritRadio.org and find those links. I think there's room for one more song, isn't there, David? Can we share one more? I would love for you to share one more. <laughs> These things keep coming up in various ways, but you know, the singing with people in my family has always been a big thing. Not every single person in my family feels comfortable singing, but quite a few. My grandfather, who died a few years ago at 101, had a big bass voice. His hero was Paul Robeson, and he would sing Paul Robeson songs every chance he got, Old Man River, and etc. And then my father sang in folk groups in the 60s, especially. Then my wife and I sing, and then our sons joined us. So we had actually 
some concerts where my grandparents were in Florida with four generations of Heitlers and singing together. Wow. And that was just really amazing. One time we had a family reunion around Thanksgiving and we had something like 17 of us on stage for the final song. So anyway, I, I kind of wanted to write a song to memorialize this history of singing in our family. And I called it Family Harmony. And you'll hear my grandfather and my father and, and then my wife and my sons all mentioned in this song. And the main harmony group is the four of us in our family. But then we got a chorus of, I think, close to 50 people in the studio, including Kim and Reggie Harris and uh, Billy Jonas and some people I'm sure that you know and have had on your show before and um, to sing in the chorus. So it was a really uh, amazing thing for us uh, musically and emotionally. And, um, and I've always had this really special feeling when we've sung this. Unfortunately, this is one of those songs we can't sing without our sons. I mean, we just have never found a satisfactory musical way to do it. So we don't get to sing it live that often. But when we do it, you know, there's a, a thing with those family voices blending, you know, I don't know if it's <laughs> part of the genes, but there's something very special that happens, I think. And, you know, there've been so many amazing groups from the Everly Brothers to the Roaches, to, you know, all kinds of things where there's that particular harmonizing. And I'm not going to put us up with those people in quality, but I do think there is something to that. Some beautiful harmony you're about to hear. It's called Family Harmony. Yeah. So actually... You'll even hear my grandfather singing Old Man River, my father's group, the Davis Street Wanderers, singing a little bit from a demo they made in the early 60s, and then my high school group, all of those little snippets that sound like with radio changing dials in between, and that leads into the song. So we've got the intro in front of it. Again, David, just thank you so much for sharing your music. I think that music is a kind of suture that can tie the world together connects us to one another. Somehow, even when we have problems between people, if we're singing together, those problems can be dissipated and we can find our unity. So I, I think it is a sacred thing to just do music, regardless of whatever supernatural being you do or do not believe in. <laughs> Family harmony is in itself magic. And so I'm so thankful you're sharing that. All of your work with Two of a Kind and with Acoustic Blender, links on Northern Spirit Radio, folks. They're so beautiful. Thanks so much for joining me, David. Thank you so much, Mark. Here it is, last song with the intro, and you'll hear all of David's family and history wrapped up in the intro and in the expression of the song, Family Harmony. We'll see you all next week for Song of the Soul.
used to sing to me with his rumbling voice so deep. Old Man River and Tooralura carried me off to sleep. Sing from inside my mom. He sang Beatles songs in his sweet bass. When I was a baby, there was music all around. I slept in a warm guitar case. Family harmony. Come, let's all gather. I sang with my friends. My dad helped us harmonize. When we finally got it, we couldn't help but laugh. That sound was such a sweet surprise. sons. I love the way our voices blend. One day I hope to sing with my grandchildren too, so the harmonies will never end. Family harmony, come let's all The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it is called Song of the Soul. Check out all things Song of the Soul on northernspiritradio.org, guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Send your Songs of the Soul to me, Mark Helps Meet, via the info on our website, and join us weekly for Song of the Soul.